welcome everybody to Who's Your Band. If you don't know by now, I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined by Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? The Jeffrey Paul? Yes. Yes. The Jeffrey Paul from The Irishman. Oh, God. And Wow. We made it 14 seconds this time. I, I just want to see. I want to get it out of the way. Yeah, right. might as well. Might as well. I will tell you, I did see a movie that was worse than The Irishman. There's not a movie worse than The Irishman. The Irishman is one of the best movies ever made. Okay, so first of all, it's just fucking sit- horrible. I sat through it to watch your dumb face in it, number one. <laughs> number two, it really is bad. Okay, I saw House of Gucci. With I- Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Um, there's a couple good parts of it. I saw uh, Gaga's ass twice. I saw half a tit. Um, besides that, it's like two and a half hours of absolutely nothing. The worst, dude, the worst fake Italian accents I've ever heard in my entire life. Wow. You know, I, I people can say it's pretty good, but, you know, I, I kind of trust your opinion. So I'm not about bad, but I just it, if you can look past the horrific accents then you'll be okay. Me personally, I would I, I peed like four times just because it, I just needed a break. Well, how, how are the accents? It's like, so over the top, man. Like, like that. I was fucking, I, I'm sitting there going, there's a director, right? There's actually a director who's not, like Ridley Scott is a brilliant director. He's approving this shit. How, how did the accent go again? Just do the accent one more time. Al Pacino played my father. Like that. Like that's the one guy. That's exactly what he sounded like <laughs> the whole time. It was so bad. It was so uh, fucking bad. And I'm very tired too, so I'm a little bunchy. <laughs> that's, that's, okay, so that's some hell of an acting. Dude, that's, and that's I'm telling job. you, that was better than the guy who played the one role. That was more believable. <laughs> I, I think you have a career. I, I think you're definitely going. Oh, I'm going right into voiceover. Going right into voiceover. <laughs> you should. You should. Anyway, let's bring in our guest. Um, I'm, I'm interested uh, and excited to talk to him. Uh, he is a keyboardist. He plays in several different bands. Let's get to know him a little bit better. Let's bring in Mr. Chris McCoy. How are you, Chris? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, Wonderful. Man. Th- thank you for joining us. And. You're part of something that I'm kind of curious about. Um, you, you're a keyboard player, and you know, you, I know you do some. Uh, you know, you have a band, you have your some your originals, but you also kind of like seem to be making a living uh, being in several different tribute bands. And so, a couple of questions regarding that: What's the difference between a tribute band and a cover band for our listeners? That's an excellent question. Well, a a tribute band generally tries to be as authentic as possible when bringing the show. We try to look like the band, sound like the band. Uh, In the case of, for example, my ELO tribute band, we also bring video with our show. So you have a two-hour audiovisual experience. It's not just a cover band standing up their plan. We've got a lot going on in the background. We've got visuals that show like Tom Petty and some of these other guys we cover and all the Jeff Lynn produced artists and, and all the ELO uh, space effects, things like that going on. So it's kind of cool. And it adds another dimension to the show that a, a typical cover band probably wouldn't bring into like a bar, for example. 
Wow. So what's the name of the ELO band? Oh, not, not very original name. We're called the ELO Tribute Show. <laughs> and uh, that's a name change. We were originally called the Electric Wind Orchestra. And uh, we were contacted by Jeff Lynn's attorney and asked to change the name. So we worked with him and he suggested that name and we adopted that name. So uh, that's the name we, we go with today. You know, some of these tribute bands I know do really well. Sean uh, brought up a point about a week ago on the show sure. saying <laughs> that, yeah, saying that there's a, uh, a tribute band out there called Almost Queen and they're playing between four and 5,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tend toward uh, larger festivals in the summertime. We, uh, played in Ohio to a crowd of 7,000 and another one, uh, about 5,000 in another, another city. But we usually are, uh, our sweet spot is 600 to 1200 seat theaters. And, but, but you're doing a whole, uh, visual show as well, right? Correct. Correct. We bring video in and, uh, it, the whole thing's a big production. And, uh, so we try to really make it big. <laughs> Chris, did you ever get a chance to see ELO? Uh, I have not. I've seen videos. Actually, I take that back. There was one time I saw them. I was actually in uh, Brooklyn for the uh, Rock Hall of Fame inductions in 2017. So I got to see them perform for their induction ceremony. Was that yeah. the one that Nirvana went in? Uh, it was actually Pearl Jam. Oh, Pearl Jam. I didn't go to that yeah, one. Yeah, it was a Journey, ELO, and Yes that year as well. So. That, that's a good class. Is yeah. it, Jeff? But I, I saw ELO when I was a, a kid. And it was the Out of the Blue Tour. And uh, yeah, and that was the one where they were in a spaceship. And the, as the show started, the spaceship opened up and the band was there. It was all smoke and lights. You know, and I guess be doing a ELO tribute band, maybe also doing a Kiss tribute band. You just can't do the music. You know, you, I mean, ELO was known for their, their stage show as well. So that had to be, you know, pretty big undertaking. Now, do you have a hand in doing together the stage show or do you have, is there like a separate component for that? Uh, really, it's a collaborative of the guys in the band. Uh, I was actually brought in after the band was formed. So I auditioned for and joined the band, but I became more involved in the business aspect and trying to promote the band after I, I joined. So uh, a lot of the creative ideas do come from me as well, but uh the two guys who founded the band really were, were the hands and really setting up that uh, stage look for the group. Do you do Concetto for a rainy day? We don't. We're going to add that next year, though. It's a great song. Uh, it, it is. We, and how it goes into Mr. Blue Sky. I know yeah, four we, ELO songs. That's it. <laughs> so we always do Mr. Blue Sky. Absolutely. And all the core stuff that you'd, you'd expect to hear, like Evil Woman and... Uh, do and uh, strange magic, those sorts of songs. But Mr. You're the keyboard player, and Mr. Blue Sky, that's your song to sign, shine on, right? Oh yeah. Well, there's a few. I have a few opportunities in there. You know, uh, Blue Sky is a big one, though. A lot of lot of piano in that song. A lot of neat synthesizer and what have you. So, uh, do you guys do any Wilbury stuff? We sure do. Actually, we do handle with care. Oh, great song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we actually do a uh, George Harrison song as well. We do, uh, <laughs> I can't remember it. It's not funny. Uh, uh, mindset on you. Got my mindset on you. Yeah. yeah, you could really hear the Jeff Lynn influence all over the Wilburys uh, album and, and, and the, uh, the album that he produced. What was it, Cloud Nine that he produced for George Harrison? 
I believe it was. Yeah. 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 He, he, he's great, man. Um, but you, but you didn't also, I mean, I know the ELO band is, I think your primary band, but you also played like in a Stevie Nicks, uh, cover band and a Tom Petty cover band, right? I did. I, I played in a uh, Stevie Nicks band for about six years. And uh, unfortunately, that band ended. The uh, people who play the role of Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham were married and they uh, divorced. And that was the end of the band. So. That's fucking <laughs> ironic. <huh? laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you, you can't get more authentic than that. They should. No. Why are they leaving the band? It was a good, good high note to go out on, I guess you could say, or maybe a low note. <laughs> I, I saw this like weird thing that Taylor Swift that they put out. They were like, "Hey, you go out with Taylor Swift, and uh, you she breaks up with you, and she writes a song about you." And then it was like a picture of Stevie Nicks, and it's like, "Yeah, I'll top that. I'll make, I'll write the song, and then uh, you know I'll make the motherfucker play it next to me for forty years afterwards." <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning, Chris. You started taking piano lessons at around six years old, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so question. I mean, when my son was around the same age, he also took piano lessons. Uh, why did you stick with it? I came from a musical family. My grandmother was a piano teacher, actually, and she was an organist in a church and a choir director. So uh, when we go to her house, she had a music room with two pianos and an organ. I always found myself gravitating toward the organ. So it was a natural progression into doing band stuff over time. Uh, and and then, and then you kind of like you stuck with it and you played in bands throughout high school did that help you get chicks <laughs> yeah well you know they, they usually go for the singers first so <laughs> in, a, in a in a way yeah i suppose that later on it helped yeah let me tell you yeah. something if i was a piano player i i, I would have i would have monopolized so you all know how would i would have milked this okay i would have i would have gotten chicks every like single. four minutes in the irishman four years ago yeah Right. <laughs> um, what, what, Chris, what, what piano plays do you like? Uh, Jonathan Cain's a big influence. Oh, David, great, yeah. Yeah, David Page from Toto. Uh, those are my two big ones. Billy Joel, obviously, is huge, you know. Um, in the jazz realm, Chick Corea, you know. Um, probably I could name a million, but those are the big ones. And, uh, you know, in the hard rock world, David Bryan from Bon Jovi really kind of struck me in the 80s. And, uh, you know, guys like him really made me want to do more of that kind of music as I, I moved through my career. You know, last week we had um, we had a drummer and we've interviewed quite a bit of drummers on the show. And drummers talk about two different ways of playing. Uh, a lot of talk about feel. You know, uh, Charlie Watts was a drummer that played with feel. And then we talked about drummers that played with precision and technicality, like a guy like Neil Peart from uh, Rush. Is, does the same thing hold true kind of in piano players? Because I hear the difference between certain piano players and a, a piano player that really stands out to me is Neil Bitten from uh, Springsteen's E Street Band. Yeah, I think it depends on the band, you know, it, it's really what the music calls for. You've got a, you know, a band like Dream Theater, for example, where Jordan Rudess is very, very technical, but the music demands that. And then you've got, you know, Jonathan Cain, who's a little more basic and the songs really call for that. You have to breathe and really allow for the singer to stand out in front as opposed to being more technical. So, yeah, it really depends. I think. 
Yes, I mean some piano players. I mean, made made it look really cool. I mean, Jonathan Kane made it look cool. I thought um, John Lord from um, Deep Purple. You know, yeah. I mean, think about think about like the intro to songs like "Knocking at Your Back Door" and "Perfect Strangers." How cool! You know, I mean, they would open up their concerts later on, and they gave them like a whole solo, to, you know, to to make something yeah. of it, and it really set a great mood. Yeah, well, I think that's one of those bands where you really have the perfect balance of the keyboard player and the guitar player, and they're really in the same vein. You know, you've got that heavy feel, and John Lord managed to really pull that off with the Hammond and that big, heavy Hammond sound to really match that. And uh, you know, again, appropriateness for the band, right? He was perfect for Deep Purple. That was the right sound and the right, you know, feel. Really captured it. Yeah. But if the if the notes on a piano all basically the same, right? What makes the difference between the way somebody plays it? I mean, with a drummer, it could be, you know, the way the drummers were explaining to us was, you know, like, like someone like Bonham, how hard he hit. And like, you know, someone could try and play when the levy breaks, but it's, you know, no one can kind of do the sound like Bonham could. It comes what from is your it about soul, keyboard Jeff. players? It comes from your insides. It doesn't come from your <laughs> I know, but how, how does that translate on, to hitting the keys on a keyboard? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it is influence, too. You know, if you're used to hearing, you know, in my case, I grew up listening to Jonathan Kane. I tend to play a little bit harder. John plays a little bit harder um, on the piano. But, uh, you know, being dynamic is important, too. It just really depends on the music, style, and, uh, and the sound that you're really trying to, trying to go after. And, and influence is important, too, right? You know, we're all influenced by different players and, and different styles. So that's really where it boils down to for me. So you've been, you've been playing in these different uh, tribute bands. You also have a band out called uh, Tokyo Motorfest. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about Tokyo Motorfest? Yeah, so Tokyo Motorfest is actually uh, a super group that consists of Steve Brown from Trickster, Ted Poley from Danger Danger, Greg Smith, who was with Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, uh, Dokken, and just a whole host of other bands. Uh, and, and actually, right now, he's just finishing up a tour with Wizards of Winter with Steve and uh, Fred Goro, who plays in Ted Poley's band. Uh, I was actually invited to play with that band. And an interesting story uh, is right before COVID hit, uh, Tokyo Motorfest was scheduled to play a show in Maryland where I live. And uh, they wanted to bring somebody in who didn't have to fly in and didn't have to stay in a hotel. I could just come in, simply play the show and drive home. So I prepared for that and actually, you know, called Steve Brown, got the gig, got the gig through a buddy of mine who actually knew Steve Brown uh, through another band that he's in that does 80s music. And uh, so, yeah, I prepared for the show and then COVID hit and canceled everything. <laughs> uh, I kept in touch with Steve for the next several months. And uh, fast forward to 2021, uh, the Lions album came out, which was Tokyo Motor for second record on Frontiers. And uh, shortly after that, uh, we were called to play at M3, the big melodic rock fest in Maryland. And because I was already slated to play with him, he called me to do that show. It was a really big opportunity. That's uh, that festival takes place at Meriwether Quest Pavilion, which is an 18,000 seater uh, shed. It's an outdoor venue. Uh, for me, it was the biggest show I've ever done. I've, I've done a few really big shows in my life. That one was probably the biggest one of all. And uh, so, uh, yeah, 
got to play with the guys. Uh, Slaughter was there that day. We got to hang out with Slaughter a little bit. They were in the dressing room next to ours. Uh, Kex was playing and uh, myself and the guy who actually got me the gig are friends with Steve Whiteman. He actually used to take vocal lessons from him back in the uh, early 2000s when he was still singing. And uh, yeah, just a, a spectacular day. So I've, I've done one show with them, hoping to do more down the road in the future. And uh, that actually connected me to Ted Poley, who I am currently playing with now, and actually have become his music director in his solo band. So I was just, just going to ask you that. Uh, Ted Poley from Danger Danger. Um, he has a solo project, and you're a permanent member of that band now. I am a permanent right. member, yes. Right. Um, but with, with uh, Tokyo Motor Fest, um, you, you said they, they, they hit you up because, you know, the gig's in Maryland. Did you know the songs, or is it can you read music, and did they give you the music, and you can just pick it up on the fly? So I, I have a method. I, I play by ear. Uh, and so I'm able to hear things and, and learn by ear, but I'll chart everything out. I'll listen to it, chart it out, write it out, and then learn it and then go back and reference the chart and make sure I've played it correctly against the recorded track. And then once I've got it down to a science, I just keep practicing and practicing it so, until it becomes muscle memory. <laughs> How long does it take you to uh, actually like learn the songs? Uh, depends on the show. So with Danger Dangerous material, that was part of this. And some of the Trickster songs, I already knew some of those songs because I grew up with, with them when I was in my early cover bands. We were listening to and going to see those bands. Uh, now, I just played a show with Eric Martin uh, three weeks ago up in, in New Jersey. And uh, that took about a month because I had never, you know, I was a Mr. Big fan, but I'd never really translated that into piano. And this was an acoustic show. So I had to kind of feel out the songs and figure out where piano fit best and try to do something that worked with the acoustic guitars and, you know, with a piano sound. So that took a lot. You know, so my, I saw some highlights of that show. That was, what was that theater called? The Debonair or something? Debonair. Right. The Debonair and T-Neck. Okay. Correct. Okay. Right. Right. First of all, how was that venue? What, what do you think of it? Oh, it's a nice venue. I really like it. Nice sound system. The stage is real, real, uh, I call it audience friendly because uh, it faces out and then the entrance to the entire venue is on one side of the stage. You can mm -hmm. kind of see people coming and going as you're playing. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been there. How, how big of a venue would you say it is? Uh, probably a couple hundred people. It's not huge, but it's, it's really nice and uh, great sound system. In there. Really yeah, it, used to be called, it used to be called Mexicali blues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they get, they look like they get some pretty interesting bands in there and and artists and like Eric Martin we had him on the show uh, yeah I mean listen Mr Big really an underrated band I think to some degree and kind of got mixed up in the wash and uh, we I thought like the, you know their hit you know to be with you it doesn't really represent what that sound really was much like extreme with more than words you know right. Um, yeah, so how did you get on that gig? Because that looked like it was a fun night, and that looked like, like a really good show. That was a lot of fun. Well, I got that through Steve Brown. I have stayed in touch with Steve Brown after the Tokyo Motor Fist uh, show in July and actually did some recording with him as well. And so we've been, you know, texting back and forth, staying in touch, and, and Eric was coming through town. And Eric and Steve traditionally play this show together when it comes through New Jersey. So it's usually both of them. So, uh, you know, the opening part of the night was, you know, Steve's material. We played some trickster songs and then he's got a, a new single out called Where Do We Run? 
that he just released and we played that as well and then we launched into the mr big stuff and eric came out and we finished out with that and i think we closed out with give it to me good and then we did one more song and that was it so you're jumping on these shows and I'm just kind of curious. How long does it take you? Because you're playing by ear. How long does it take you to like to, to learn it, though? I mean, you said you're writing this stuff out. You you're charting it. It sounds like a lot of work. How long? Yeah, how long it is does it take you to do all this? Yeah. Uh, well, the Eric Martin show took about a month. I found out about that show around the end of October, and that one took place November 20th. So just about a month to to get ready for that one. If someone gave you 48 hours. Right. They say, hey, look, man, you know, our, our keyboard player got COVID and we need somebody. And listen, Chris, we've seen you play before. You're really good. OK. Could you fake it? Is it, you know, like, like sometimes like with the drummer, you know, he don't have to do all the fills, but he can just keep the beat and the time. OK. Can you can you can you jump on to to a show and, and then gradually start to pick it up? I can. I've actually done that. I actually got called to play with an Aussie tribute and. Uh... Honestly, I don't know how Diary of a Madman goes, but I learned it really quickly and <laughs> worked my way through it. But I, I'd played No More Tears and some of the other stuff years and years ago in cover bands because that's, you know, classic rock bands usually pick up at least one or two Aussie songs. So so that's what I did and I pulled it off. Yeah. Are you able to make a living, you know, playing at, in, in uh, uh, these tribute bands? Because like, like we spoke about last week with uh, Almost Queen, if you're playing... 5,000 seat arenas that's bigger than like like almost like judas priest is playing now yeah unfortunately no those shows are elo is harder to book it's a niche audience right it's not bon jovi it's not journey so you don't get as much uh booking i've been doing it work for go. 20 years so what's that sir i said i would go oh well, good well i will uh i'll let you know <laughs> we do have some shows on us but yeah. So, so if you have any shows in, in, in the uh, Staten Island area, I mean, I'm uh, you count on me going. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> now, Mike, and, um, who would you who would you like to collaborate with? Who's who's some of these? You know, like if you if you can get into like either a tribute band of uh, you know they like you know you you can pick the musicians you can play with or. The band itself, like, like you know, would say, would you would it be like an Elton John tribute band? I think it'd be a Toto tribute band, actually. Great choice, man. Great yeah. choice. There aren't as many of them out there, but what a tremendous group of musicians. And you know, these guys are all session cats in LA and played on everybody's Steve. records. And uh, right. in fact, Luke is one of my favorite, favorite guitar players. So he's he's phenomenal. I'd love to meet him someday. <laughs> that would be cool. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna ask you that. Uh, Okay, so besides Steve Lukather, um, anyone who you would love to work with, anyone who, who uh, I mean, I, I didn't, I really didn't know uh, much about you uh, b- before uh, Mike uh, booked the show. So is, is there anything like I'm missing? Is anybody that you played with that, that we haven't got a chance to discuss? Uh, well, in the Stevie Nicks tribute band, for a while, the rhythm section was made up of uh, two of the original members of the Ravens. I don't know if you remember that band. They were on MTV. They had a song called Raised on the Radio. And, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that was in the Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack. So. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. All, right. When he's washing the car. Yep. Tim Steele and, and Lee Townsend are good friends. And so we've stayed in touch over the years as well. We're great, great guys. Uh, 
yeah, that's that, those guys are great. I'd love to work with them again. It'd be phenomenal. Uh, really, anybody out there who's you know doing melodic rock, that's really my uh, you know my core, uh, my love in this in this business. Stuff like Danger Danger and Trickster and all and what have you. So yeah, and you know. Ted's gig falling into my lap was a dream because I was a big Danger Danger fan when they came out with that first record. So, uh, well, so maybe he had like a stuttering. I thought he had a stuttering issue. It's like, hey, my my band's name is Danger Danger. I'm gonna write two <laughs> songs. They're called Bang Bang and Naughty and, Naughty. Right, right. <laughs> well, you won't forget, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, I was a big fan, but uh, yeah, and and I kind of had a funny story about him I've, I've been telling him this and I'm, I'm sure he didn't remember but back in 1990 when kiss was on the hot in the shade tour slaughter and danger danger were the opening bands and That's i was right. you know my early 20s i had a gig as a stagehand in a sports arena and that tour came through our arena so i got to uh meet all those guys and i remember telling him you know i walked up to the t-shirt stand after danger danger set and i said look i just want to tell you this first record is amazing. I love it. I play it every day. I can't get it out of my stereo. And as a keyboard player, you know, that was a big deal for me because the previous three years we had, you know, Extreme, Skid Row, Cinderella, and, and these bands are two guitar bands. They're really not heavy keyboard bands. So, you know, as a keyboard player, that was a nice change of pace for me, a nice, refreshing breath of air. <laughs> That's how this podcast came about because Jeff came up to me at a gig one time and he was like, listen, I've been, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been watching you for a very, very long time. Uh, first of all, can you, can you sign my ticket stub? Because he bought a ticket to come see me perform. So I signed the ticket stub for him, which is actually hanging up behind me, if you can see it. And uh, then um, he was like, listen, I know you're kind of a little too big for this, but would you mind doing this podcast with me? And it's been two years since. So like, you never know. Sometimes when you meet your heroes, Chris, it, it doesn't work out. But sometimes like in this situation, it really did. I was I was luck I was lucky to 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 get, to get Sean to be the the co-host on this you know um, but you know it, listen it, I guess you know having him as a co-host has its perks because one time we went to a concert and we had really bad seats right and we we because like, we were hammered and he goes up to like you know you only know, have like a like like a, a courtesy desk at, like at, you know we were at Madison Square Garden they have a courtesy desk. And he goes up, he goes, hey, look, you know, he goes, we can't see. It's terrible. He goes, I don't want to have to do this because I'm kind of a famous comedian. And we would really appreciate if, you know, you could do something. And the woman behind the desk recognized them. And we wound up going like, I don't know if you've ever been to Madison Square Garden. We went from the 400 section and we were like, like 22 rows from the stage. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. It's hard, dude. It's 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 hard living up to the expectations sometimes. You know what I mean? But listen, it's a cross we bear. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, what what's what's your favorite and what's your least favorite part about being a musician? Oh, favorite part is being on stage and being in that moment where everybody's playing and you just really feel the energy, you know, of the bands. There's nothing like it. Uh, and it's addictive. <laughs> That's why I keep coming back. My least favorite part is packing up and putting it in my car and going home. Because <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, everything's over with. And you've you, all the excitement that built up to the show has passed. And now you're driving home. And it's, wow, ah, gosh, I wish I could just make it last another hour, you know, just a little bit more, you know. So, yeah, yeah, kind of like us, like we're, we're on stage as well. Yeah, I, know, I get that. That, you know, you 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 love the gig. I, I like everything about it. I, I don't mind driving to the gig. I don't mind coming as, as long as I did well. If I did poorly, 
then I'm in my head and I'm miserable. Um, You're miserable a lot. Uh, that's good. Yeah, you, you see what he did there? Yeah, that's funny stuff. <laughs> no, he's he's using you. you, you how, how, how can you love that? You hate that fat <laughs> chubby Spit face it out, jerk. <laughs> I'm having oh, a blast tonight. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, I could tell. Um, uh, you have something else I want to ask you. I, you. You played with a lot of great players, right? Okay, you know, between like Ted and you know the members of Trickster, and and I'm sure some of the musicians in the in the uh, tribute bands have to be real good as as well. Um, what's the best piece of advice? you you can give to another musician and what was the best piece of advice a musician ever gave to you well there, there are a couple of them. number one keep your contacts up the whole reason i got any of these shows that have come in the last year came from one phone call and it was because of my very best friend new steve brown he connected me to ted poley and everything just opened up and, and it's been amazing. Number two is practice, <laughs> practice, 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 never stop practicing. That, that was why I wanted to ask you, how, <laughs> how often do you practice? Uh, well, right now I'm on a break until February. So I actually haven't touched my keyboards in a couple of weeks, but uh, normally I try to get down here at least an hour a day, uh, you know, run through stuff. I've got the ELO shows coming up. So I'll run that probably an hour or two a day just to make sure I'm perfect on everything. And, you know, I've got, you know, all the songs, you know, on Logic so I can run and play along with them. So I'm just going to ask you, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Do you put on headphones and, and play along with a recording? Yes, exactly. It's exactly what I do. I have a, a wireless senior monitor system here in my basement. I just, because I use it live as well, but uh, I just set that up and pop the headphones in and play right along. Now, you, yeah. You know, I, I get the feeling we're around the, the same age. What did you? How did you, did you do it when you were a kid? You know, when you, when you practice. I mean, you, you started at six. You practice. You know, practice for a kid. Can, you know, it could be brutal. But oh yeah. You seem to, but but you seem to just take to it and do it. I, I think that's the hardest part about being a musician. It's just like unless you absolutely love the instrument, you know. I, I don't know how musicians take it. There's, uh, I don't know if you ever read or heard Tom Morello from uh, Rage Against the Machine, but he knew that's what he wanted to do. And that was what he was going to do. And for two years, he practiced every day, he said, for eight hours. Even yeah. that's an embellishment. And he did it half the time. That's still pretty impressive. Did, were, were you that diligent when, when you practiced, especially early on? Well, I, I tell you, I had a really good conditioning growing up. I was in school bands. And uh, my school band directors were all very strict. And when I got to high school, my high school band director was an ex-Marine and he was an Eastman school grad. So he was sense. a perfectionist. And he was one of these guys who would throw the baton at you in the middle of rehearsal in front of the whole room if you screwed up. And he knew who did it. <laughs> so you had to be perfect. So every night, you know, and I was a trombone player back then, but two hours a night, same thing. Had to have it down to a science because uh, I knew he was going to be waiting for me the next day. So... <laughs> Would you say that is the uh, the greatest strength that a musician would have is the diligence to, to you know to just kind of like persevere, work through um, like, like the, I guess the monotony of practicing. And isn't it like with piano 
aren't you practicing like like I guess is it scales that you're practicing? Like you're you're going through like different progressions. Yeah, absolutely. Just scales, major scales. It's great warm up, you know, and then into the songs, just practicing along with the songs, you know, making sure everything's nailed down tight. All the parts are there. Yeah. Now, what other instruments do you play? Because usually if you're if you're a keyboard player, you know, you it, it's all uh, numbering and you can usually pick up other instruments. So I'm sure you're playing a couple of other instruments as well. Well, I, I had an, an acoustic guitar in my basement for a while and, uh, you know, I learned some basic chords. Both of my brother-in-laws are great guitarists. They, in their own right, one lives in Dallas and the other lives in uh, Western Maryland. And he's more of a folk guy, but the guy in Dallas probably should have been in a Stevie Ray tribute band because he's he can play all that stuff really well. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, he's really, really good. Uh, so I picked up guitar to kind of go to the beach with them and, and hang out and play, play along. I did that for a while, but, uh, you know, eventually I, I sold the guitar. The keyboard work has gotten so busy that I really just do strictly that now. Uh, and of course, you know, coming up through school, I played trombone. I actually studied at Interlochen for a summer and then uh, went to Florida State for a year and, and studied there and then uh, came back. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you sing as well? Uh, used to, not as much these days. I sing with the uh, ELO band. I do some harmonies and some vocoding. And if you're familiar mm. with vocoders, you talk through the synthesizer while you're playing it. And there's there's parts like in um, Sweet Talking Woman, you probably heard it in the middle of the song. But uh, otherwise, not not as much. I don't really sing leads anymore. I, I was in a top 40 group in the early 90s, and I sang leads on a couple of songs. I think we did some Black Crows and some other stuff that I sang on. But uh, it's been a while. So. Were you having a wedding band? I did do weddings for about uh, two years. I was uh, doing that. And, uh, you know, a friend recommended doing it. There was a uh, franchise group that I joined called the Bachelor Boys. They're a big DC group and Philly group. And honestly, it, it just was eating my soul. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, covering Lady Gaga and, and uh, Bruno Mars, just not my thing. Just not my thing. <laughs> so I got Does out it of pay it. Well? Did it pay well? Yeah, about the same as the tribute bands, maybe a little less than the tribute bands in some cases. Ah. Okay. Um, cool. So with the pandemic okay, that, that was going on, um, a lot of projects put on hold. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, to uh, Tokyo Motor Fist put on hold. Um, what'd you do to keep yourself busy? Well, the, uh, the bass player in the ELO band and myself put together a project and we just recorded probably 20 cover tunes and we did one of these uh you've probably seen these bands get online and they'll do like a collage video where everybody's on at the same time and they put yeah, it on youtube love that. so yeah. we did a lot of that we did uh and we recorded uh some toto covers i think we did girl goodbye and we did uh rosanna and we did uh we actually did a backstreet boys cover too which was interesting uh we did some which song? Yankee. Which, what's that which song by backstreet boys oh uh, it was uh Jeez, what's it called? It's, it was one of the big hits. Uh, if, you, if you name it, I, I can tell you. <laughs> um, Sean, you're, you're, Sean likes the Backstreet Boys. Yep. A lot of people don't know this about Sean, and we haven't revealed this on the show yet. But when Sean was it was a it was a you know a teen growing up, uh, he had an opportunity to audition for uh, Backstreet Boys. Well, was, no, you're no, you're right. you're getting your they, stories. They, they, you're getting your stories confused. It's actually I was in my twenties actually. I was like 21. 
So okay, so he, he, he's 20, 21, and he they they bring it. They they there, there was no call for uh, a six foot four, three hundred twenty pound uh, Backstreet Boy. Okay, uh, six three three fifty. But continue. Go ahead. Okay, but but if they if they had it, if they were going to go in that direction, I think Sean would have got, gotten the uh, the gig. But he wound up playing in like what, what kind of music did your band play? Me, it's all hard rock. Yeah. Very Godsmack-ish, the cult, uh, you know, stuff like that. Not, not, nothing too, like super death metal. Nothing too poppy. Kind of in the middle. Kind of like, like a, kind of like a creed. Kind of like a, a creed without the whole Christianity vibe. <laughs> gotcha. So the Backstreet Boys was it? I want it that way. Uh, no, it wasn't that as one. It was as in- long as you love me, don't go breaking my heart. Oh, no, you know what it was? It heart? was. Uh, I want it that way. I take that back. It was. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's the. Right, big, I'm not big uh, knowledgeable on, on their catalog, but uh, yeah, we did that. We did some Rainbow songs. We did Since You've Been Gone. We did, uh, and we just brought in you know musicians we knew from the Philly area to jump in and, and work in Paul's studio and, and cut the tracks. So we ended up with uh, an album worth of material. It, it never really got pressed to CD, but we we have it out there. So it's it's good stuff. I love I love talking music and. Uh, you know, this is the first time we've been doing the show for about two years now, and the first time I think we even mentioned Toto on the show. So oh, wow. there's a reason why, so, Jeff. No, I don't, I don't think they suck. I know you probably don't like Toto because you don't appreciate a band like Toto. But here's here's something with them. They have a song called you know because it comes on the radio every now and then. Remember the song Georgie Porgy? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was a really that was a, a kind of like would you say that's a departure? from what they normally put out like that was very different than hold the line yeah i I think it was probably an early because it was so early there was a lot more of dave page's jazz influence in those records it was very jazzy yeah very jazzy right yeah absolutely and his father was a famous jazz pianist as well so he got that naturally as well (laughs) you like jazz some jazz yeah i'm a little more into like the chick korea type of stuff uh McCoy Tyner, some of that type of material. Uh, not as I mean, much of the traditional jazz. Sean, you're a big jazz guy? I appreciate it. Like, I won't ever go out and, like, buy a jazz record. But I have a couple, like, Miles Davis and John Coltrane records and oh, stuff. That's good stuff, too, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I won't ever like, – I went to the Blue Note one time, uh, and I actually knew somebody who worked there. It was Lena Horn was opening up for Bill Cosby at the Blue Note in the city. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's before the whole rapey, the rapey shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Bill Cosby, because Lena Horn was a degenerate too. But uh yeah, she uh it was it was amazing. It really was amazing. But that's a great place in the city if you ever want to uh check a show out. Yeah. All right, so Sean, ask your um uh famous question. Uh famous question. So Chris, if you could um start your own band you playing keyboards anybody in the world playing in the band dead or alive who would it be oh my gosh wow uh let's see well it would be probably steve lukather on guitar okay gosh uh drums would be a tough one there's so many great drummers um you know i'd say probably if he were still alive jeff beccaro on drums um a lot of great bass players too uh 
maybe Billy Sheehan on bass. That would be interesting from Mr. Big. Yeah. And, we've, got uh, a, we've got a lot of people say Billy Sheehan. I, yeah. I, I honestly think he's the greatest bass player who's ever walked the planet. I truly I like do. I like him a lot. And I also like Leland Sklar, who played with Phil Collins. He's really good. Too. If you've seen him, he was with Toto for the uh, Falling in Between tour as well. What about someone like Antwistle or Chris Squire? Yeah, Chris Squire, if you were alive too, he's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I, I picked him over Antwistle. Antwistle was great, but Chris was just really, uh, you know, with yes, that Rickenbacker tone. There's nothing like it. Just amazing. You know? Jeff almost it's, stole a Rickenbacker one time from Paul McCartney. <laughs> really? It, it's true. It's true. Um, years ago, I had the uh, opportunity to, years ago, uh, to, to work with uh, McCartney. And I would, I would do like security for him. You know, we, I, I would go on tour with bands and do production. And then to make extra money uh, on the side, we also did uh, security for these guys. Because, you know, you know, everyone kind of like knows everybody in that circle. Right. right. And yeah. to, to, you know, to get to work in McCartney's um, hotel room. And it wasn't, trust me, it wasn't like the shit hotel rooms that Sean and I stay at, like these motel <laughs> sixes or, you know, or, or if we're lucky, you know, Hey, you get a courtyard by Marriott, you know, we're really yeah. excited. Okay. <laughs> this guy was staying like in a duplex. It was gorgeous. Right. But, you know, there's a lot of that personal stuff lying around them. Rick and Baca was there, you know, uh, and you had to make sure that nobody's like trying to to break in, going through the window. You'd be you'd be surprised what people would do. You know, you know, it's Paul McCartney, and uh, yeah, then Rick Abaca was there, and I I picked it up, and I got a chance to play it a little bit. It was, it was oh, pretty cool. cool. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, awesome. so you're, you're so to, to to cap off your band, it was Lukather on guitar, it yeah. was uh, Jeff Picaro on drums. Yeah. Jeff on drums. Okay. Bass player, uh, someone from Phil Collins' band who I've never heard of. Uh, Leland okay. Sklar, yeah. He, he, played Leland with, uh, he played with James Taylor, and he actually played with Toto for the uh, Fall in Between tour. Okay. Did I ever, and, did, Jeff, did I ever tell my James Taylor story? No. No? I got two. Listen, this is a, this is a show of firsts, okay? okay. We, we haven't spoke about Toto. Um, we, re we revealed your... Audition for the uh, Backstreet, Backstreet Boys, right? And I never heard this James Taylor story. So I used to um, spend a lot of time in Massachusetts at my uncle's house. My aunt used to work at this place. Uh, it was it was in a beautiful, beautiful hotel, and they had like a, a like a basement kind of like bar hangout kind of thing where they have acoustic guitar acts and you know just like a chill bar lounge kind of vibe. And there was a dude in the audience. Uh, you know, it was a guy playing a guitar in uh, on stage, and he was good. Like he wasn't bad. He started doing uh like fire and rain and stuff like that and then he played like two james taylor songs in a row and then all you hear like out of the blue is mind if i try the next one and it was james taylor sitting in the audience right there and he went up and wound up doing you got a friend in front of like maybe 35 people in the basement of this beautiful hotel in massachusetts wow that's a great story yeah yeah um, nothing like that ever happened to me. Well, you haven't lived life, Jeff. You have to no, leave see, Staten Island, you know? No, I have. I have. I've, listen, I've toured with, with bands. I've, I've gone, I've hit the road uh, with, with comedy, but I, I've never gone to, like, that was always been something I wanted to happen. Like, I would love to be like, like in a bar watching like some 
average cover band and all of a sudden like the artist comes out like you ever like watch those videos on youtube like i was watching like a street performer and the guy's singing um uh what's that that song from armageddon don't want to miss a thing right right and then who's had and then steve tyler is sitting there you know he's, he's like watching the street performer and then he goes up and sings with the guy and it's just like completely really cool and stuff like that man really that really gets to me. I love that. Do you, stuff. you call him Steve because you know him personally? He's Steve Tyler. Yeah, you don't. You don't call yeah, him. I, Steven? I, 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 yeah, I do call him Steve Tyler. You know, um, I've listen because of like of, of my my years on the road and and did run into Steve every now and then. Um, I would oh. refer to him as Steve. All right, Chris. Where can we? Uh, where can our fans get your uh, your social media handles so they can follow you? I'm on Facebook and you know, I honestly have to look at it for one second. <laughs> it's uh, East coast keyboardist, facebook.com forward slash East coast keyboardist. Okay. Very yeah. cool. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. Everything about me is there. There's a link to my website and what have you. So uh, yeah, that's probably the best way. And what do you got coming up? Uh, February 11th. I'm doing a show with the ELO band in Virginia yeah. at the Tally Ho theater in Leesburg. And then we're in Pennsylvania on the 19th at the Mark Chunk Opera House, which nice. is very oh, close no, Jim to Thorpe. Penn's Peak. Yeah, Jim Thorpe. Yep. And then I'm back in Jim Thorpe the following week with Ted Poley at Penn's Peak. We're going to be opening for Skid Row and Warrant. Oh, oh Jeff, wow. we got we to take off for that show. I'll we'll be on the show. 25th. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to that. We had um, Skid Row, Skid Row. We had uh, Rob DeLuca. We, He's playing with uh, Sebastian. Sebastian Bach. We should go to that show because Jeffrey was a young boy. He had a heart of stone, you know. Right. Lived nine to five. <laughs> yeah. mm. All right. Yeah, but, but, I, 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 when the bottle's your best friend, Sean, you know, <laughs> you, you make bad decisions. The but, bottle um, is going to be my best friend later on tonight, Jeffrey. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, keep in touch, man. You have any, if you're coming around the the, uh, the area and the bad plan, let us know. We'll plug the shows for you, you know, and uh, hopefully we'll get out a chance to see you. Well, thank you so much. It was great to meet both of you guys. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime, man. Yeah, man our, our pleasure. Our pleasure. All right, guys. Uh, listen, uh, have a Merry Christmas. And we'll, we'll talk to you uh, uh, next week. Take care, everybody. Be well. Bye. Happy holidays. Take care. You too.